In America, there is a divorce every 13 seconds. That's 6,646 divorces per day and 46,523 divorces per week. The average length of marriages that end in divorce is eight years. Pastor Tony has been speaking on the subject of beginnings. And when you look back at the Genesis account, we can actually see that God was the designer of marriage. Everything God created, he said it is good, and this includes marriage. If it is so good, then why are so many marriages struggling? Why do so many marriages end in divorce? Since we're on the subject of beginnings, let's look back at the beginning of your marriage. We work hard to find the perfect music, the perfect decorations, and even the perfect dress. But none of these things make a marriage work or even last. On your wedding day, you made a commitment, a vow between you, God, and your spouse. For better, for worse, till death do us part. So today, we'll remind you of what that day was all about. Not just from our perspective, but from God's. So today, we will take you back to that day and study God's plan. How marriage is all about two becoming one. On your wedding day, you took the stage to commit to God's plan. On that day, you became one. Marriage has become so flippant in today's society that people don't take it serious anymore. They go through the motions, they get hyped up about a special day, they plan it out through the catalogs, they get online, they do everything. They make this stage and they make a lot of memories, they walk away with the pictures. Nine months, a year later, everything falls apart. Why is that? Sit back and I can tell you that all of this is God's perfect plan, it is. I'm not talking necessarily about the candles or the flowers, but the commitment that we made for two to become one is God's plan. I want you guys to understand the reason why marriages fail so bad is because from the very beginning in the garden when Adam and Eve came together by God's design, Satan the serpent was in a tree watching every second of it, ready to tear it apart. Today in America and across the world when people take the stage, Satan's still in that tree lurking in the distance watching with a game plan to tear you apart. And I, let, let me show you this as for this and just... Bringing this to light of what's going on around you, let, let me tell you what's going on even this week. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world. You know what the world tries to do? It tries to take our minds and compress it into the world's way of thinking. This is what's going on just this week in the news or, or what came out, what the Disney is trying to do. For the first time ever, they are introducing lesbian moms on Disney shows. They're very proud of this. You say, what's the big deal? It's an attack on marriage. It's an attack on God's plan. And you say, why did they choose this way? Well, they're going after our children. They're going after them to condition them from way little kids growing up to say, this is just part of life. I'm here to tell you, it is not God's plan. It's the devil's plan, and it goes against God's plan. We need to understand what is right and wrong. Today, I'm going to take you back. The couple that is about to take the stage is already married. They've been married today for 11 months. But I want you guys to understand that everything that takes place on the stage is symbolic of something. So if you guys will allow me this morning, I'm going to preach through a wedding and let you to see what God's plan was for us. So to join in with me, I want you to all stand with me.
You all can be seated. You know, everything that we do when it comes to this has some sort of purpose or meaning behind it. I know a lot of times we do this and say, oh, I'm so excited about the day that my dad can walk me down the aisle, but what is the purpose of all this? I've already warned these guys that they're going to have to stand here for a minute because a lot of times it's not so much what takes place on a stage that messes up a marriage. It's what happens before they take the stage that messes up a marriage. You see, there's a lot of things that go into marriage that we've got to understand. There's a lot of things that the devil is after in order to tear apart, but he's got a strategy and a plan. See, let's examine some of these things. Right now on this stage, if you'll understand, we've got friends on both sides. A lot of times, the girls on this side represent friends from the girl. And the, and the groom goes out and picks out men that he represents. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of neat things that happen with that. I can tell you, my best man that was in my wedding as a pastor today, he's on a stage in Georgia today preaching the same way that I am. I would not be where I'm at today if I didn't have that iron sharpeneth iron the way that God intended for us to have that David-Jonathan relationships. It is good to be able to take the stage with friends and those that have had our backs and sisters and brothers that stand on the stage with us. This is a great thing. It's an awesome thing to have a dad walk down the aisle. And I know it doesn't always work out. I'm kind of giving you the overall picture. It doesn't always work out that way. But it's a beautiful thing for a, for a woman to plan to walk in one day and to walk down the aisle, be able to stand at the front of a church and be able to stand there with her dad representing that, that love and raising her up for this special day. It's all awesome. This, every bit of this on this stage. Be able to stand next to a pastor. Why is it that people want to get married in a church? People sometimes, even if they're not even church-going people, when they get married, they want to find the perfect church. Why is that? You know why? Because down in the heart of everybody knows that holy matrimony and, and, and giving yourself away to that husband or wife and committing on that day, a lot of that goes back to the roots that they know in their hearts what's right and wrong, and they want that. They want that foundation. So all of these things have symbolism with some aspect of it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And I'm going to be doing a lot to bring you back to this passage and a lot of other verses. I promise you today's message, you won't necessarily be able to keep up with everything. But I'll give you the verses and you can pick these up later as well. The Bible says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife. If you're underlining your Bible, you need to underline this passage right here. They were both naked. It was the man and his wife. And they were not ashamed. There was two people involved in this relationship. They were a man and a woman, but the man and woman were married. And in the married relationship, they were as nakedness, and that deals with sex. And the Bible says it is good, and that brought no shame. You say, why are you doing this? Because here's the problem. We've lost this. Not understanding the fact that they came in two separate. They didn't walk down the aisle together because dad walked her down to give her away to the guy. And the guy came out with a pastor and standing right here on the stage to understand that there is a separation here. But what we have done in our world is we have broken down God's law of separation and we brought that together. Men don't understand what it means not to put his hands on a woman before they are married. Boy, it's quiet in here. Let me start off by doing this. Before I go any further, do you believe this to be God's word? It is the final authority for our lives, whether you agree with it or not. You can push it away, you can rebel, you can throw it in the backseat of your car, you can ignore it for the rest of your life, but that doesn't mean that this isn't right and wrong. It's not our opinion, it's not old-fashioned, it's not that crazy preacher that gets out there and gets his opinion each week. As long as I'm giving you this, I am giving you the truth, and this is God's word. 
As long as we follow this, God will bless. When we go against this, we reap what we sow. So we've got to understand this. All of this was on purpose. God said what he did after he did it. He said, this is good. Now we have preteens having premarital sex. We wonder why these kids growing up for six, eight, ten years before they get married and relationships of like they're married and then walk into a marriage relationship and then it doesn't work. Let me give you some verses. I'll show you this is not just old-fashioned, but this is the Bible. In Hebrews 13, 4, the Bible says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Flee fornication, fornication, sexual sin. Every sin that a man doeth with his, out, without the body, he that committeth fornication sitteth against his own body. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Matthew 5, 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Couples that ignore these boundaries that God has stepped go against God's moral law. The reason the Bible said that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed is because you've got to understand God said it is shameful to do that before you are married. You give yourself away in a way that was never intended to give yourself away. There's a, there is a moral breakdown. The fact that God said that I'm going to create a woman in my image, and I'm going to take that woman and I'm going to bring her unto the man. Do you, know you understand that God was doing that? When you're ready, I'm going to create the perfect gift for you. And I'm going to bring her unto you and give her unto her husband. And those two shall become one flesh. That one flesh goes a lot deeper than just the fact of marriage. One flesh was talking about intimacy and it goes a lot further than that. God along the way did not stop there and take that woman that he created and Eve and brought her unto man and stopped and said, okay, go ahead and have your relations with this man. Okay, you're done? Okay, I've got this man for you. Along the way, just tell me when you're ready to stop off and do whatever. God, would you mind looking the other way? I want you to bless and I want the great marriage and I want your glory and honor to be upon it. I want this to be everything you want. I don't want to have divorce. I don't want this. I don't want that. And you turn around and think that you're going to walk God's way and turn around every time and stop and say, God, I want to run off with this man or this girl and do this thing and God's okay with it. God is not okay with it. She was created for that man. So all you other boys, keep your hands off. Say, oh, you don't understand. One day we plan to get married. Pastor, we're, we live this way, but we're going to get married. We're going to get married. We're go- Until she's your wife, she's not your wife. So all of those verses do not apply to you. And I don't know if you guys know this. A lot of people intend to get married, and they don't end up getting married. They, they, they end up, I, 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 weddings canceled on the day of the wedding. There is no guarantee. But I tell you one thing, if that is God's gift for him, I, I, if I'm standing there on that day, and this goes for you too, big boy, even though you're already married, but you take the illustration. I'm just like punching it. I don't get to do this stuff in a real wedding. Just slug the groom. You realize that that is the most incredible gift. In the teen class, when I was youth pastor, I, I did an illustration. And I... I went in and I had, I had the teens so mad. I had a teenage girl bring in a McDonald's bag 
with her breakfast in it. It was my breakfast. Nobody knew about it, but I bought it, gave to her, and said, I want you to bring this in. And when she walked out, I walked up and said, hey, guys, don't tell her. And I took out her sandwich, and I was holding it. And I was like, anybody else want a piece of this? And I went to take a bite of it. And then I wrapped it back up, and I stuck it back in there. And and everybody, and I, I'm telling you, I had some teens that were just like, oh, my goodness. There's joking, Pastor Tony, but that is ridiculous. I can't believe you did that. He turned around and said, I, I said, what, what was wrong with that? And eventually he came out and I said, that was staged. I said, how many of you were mad at me? They all raised their hand. They said, I said, why were you mad at me? You were putting your hands on something that did not belong to you. You were touching it in such a way that was improper, Pastor Tony. That was meant for her. Let me tell you, we have a lot of problems today where men are touching women in a way that is not proper for you to do so. I don't want my daughter one day to walk down that aisle and she has to pass this dude and that dude and that dude when she looks over and looks knowing the past. And you know what? It's, it's, it's a mental thing. God created man and woman for each other. It's, it's a mental, there's a bonding that is indescribable that God intended to be that way. And intimacy beyond closed doors that nobody else will ever know them in that way. And God said, I preserved that for that bond of marriage. When it's broken down, all of a sudden there is no walls anymore. So for somebody to go out and flirt with a girl at work, whatever, why? Because we've tore down God's moral walls in our lives. It's okay and it's fun and it's flirting and it's Facebook and it's chat rooms and it's everything else, but it leads to sin and it's not what God wanted. It doesn't matter your opinions. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Now concerning the things where I wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Read that verse right there. Now concerning the things where I wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. That word touch in that verse right there means to kindle a flame. To stir up, to, to arouse, to get turned on. I don't know how to say this, okay. Help me out here, people. It means you want, you want to be able to make this day what it should be. Is you got to learn where to draw the line, not to touch her in such a way that God said to, to bring arousal. Now, let's look at the next verse. You guys follow along with me. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. God said, I, I know that you're going to have those feelings and emotions. I know that you're going to want to touch in that way. But I've got a plan. It's called marriage. It's called marriage. Every bit of this is God's way of making this work. God goes on to say, well, listen to this. You say, man, it's, it's, you're, you're downplaying this. Let me tell you, God's plan for sex was not bad. Now, I'm not trying to be perverted, but the man and his woman, they were both naked and they were not ashamed. And God said, it is good. Here, here, it's, God's not against what's going on. It, it's not a bad thing. It's just that we ruin it when we get it out of God's order is what makes it bad. Can you guys bring up the next verse? I want them to see this. And you say, well, well help me out here because there's a lot of couples that oh, they don't follow this. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Now listen to this, as the verse goes on. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband not over her body, 
but the wife. You see, in everywhere that you're going to find in this, when it comes to that relationship, it is husband and wife. Now, there's going to come a time where you say, man, I'm so in love with this girl. I don't know what to do. Man, we've been dating for five, six, eight years. Some of those I can't explain. I'm thinking, what's going on? 1 Corinthians 7, 9. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. The word contain means to exercise self-restraint. Eventually, your pure relationship will grow to the point where you want to go further. And God said, that's okay, but only in the bonds of marriage. You say, what, what, why are you saying this? Because some of you need to be careful because you're smelling smoke already. It's better to marry than to burn. And now we've, we've pushed those limits. And let me tell you why we're at it. And God knew my heart. I'm saying, Lord, how in the world am I going to say all this in one morning? Do not allow your 12-year-olds to act like they're 18. You want to know why we have 13-year-olds getting pregnant? Because you're letting them act when they're 12-year-olds like, like, they're, like they're in this relationship. And all of a sudden, they're like, I got the third base and first base and all this other garbage that the world's putting out there. And all of a sudden, they have no idea what it means to be pure before God. And when we allow the world or Disney or anybody else to lay out what is right and wrong and you don't open your mouth to tell them, that's what's going to happen. Because their friends aren't being quiet and everybody around them in school is telling them what they've done and what's cool and what's in and what's popular. You've got to learn and tell our young people there is a time and a place and in your dating relationship is not it. I'm telling you, I don't want Maggie to walk on the stage yet because you guys need to know something. It's never going to work right and there's going to be scars and problems and everything unless you learn that the white represents purity and dad is giving her away to him for that role to be played next, but not yet. We keep blowing that. And then that's why we can't even carve out enough time for marriage counseling. We've lost the concept of friendship. People jump the friend stage. And try and run right into that lust relationship. Do you know why you're surrounded with friends on here? Do you know why this relationship is so cool like this? Because these two fell in love by serving in this church together. We, we start off now with a lust relationship instead of a friendship relationship. And we don't understand why it's not working right. Because the lust wears out. It wears out after a while. The, the, the flare is gone. And if that's what you're looking for, you'll, next, you'll look for the next Facebook relationship, the next flare. But friendship is there forever. You see, God knows all this. God's plan was all of this. I, I pray. And a lot of people are like, oh, I don't know if I want to be there next Sunday. It's just for married people. No, I'm telling you, this has more to do with single people than married people. You say, how do I? Give me some advice. I'm going to. We're still on purity. Galatians 5.16, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Be faithful to church, be faithful to God, be faithful to his word, be faithful to prayer. God will help you. Live right, date right, marry right. The next part of this goes into a dad that walked her down the aisle. We know this part and we love doing this is I'll stand right here and I'll do this. I look at this relationship and this is so cool. 
I'm going I'm to tell you something. Now, I know you're already married, but this man is about to give her away. Isn't that what we call it? To give her away. And now, if, if you're lost and you got this sick mentality that the outside looking in is going to say, give her away, she's no property of anybody, you're, you're missing it. She was given to him by God. If you don't understand that, it's called the miracle of birth. And there's something beautiful the day that, that that man was able to sit in a hotel, hotel room, a hospital room. <laughs> Nine months later, <laughs> you're going to hate me. <laughs> guys get serious. This is serious here. How do you recover from that? <laughs> God gave her to him. <laughs> and it's, it's this beautiful thing for 18 years for a dad to go through the ups and downs, the headaches and the blessings of raising kids. And then this dude walks in, this punk. <laughs> you think you're all that, you're this big stud, you shaved your face, you did it all. And you're just going to sit there and say, you know what, I want to marry that girl and, and you know, I'm going to pop the question and ask her to be my wife and all this. You know what bothers me about that? God gave her to him, and for 18, 22, 28, 35 years, wherever you're at, <laughs> he's been that umbrella of leadership in her life. And it's a beautiful thing, and I know it changes at 18. And, and I mean, there's some point within that 18 where it goes from children obey your parents to honor your father and mother, and I know all that, so I'm, I'm not trying to miss that. But at the same time, this man has invested in that girl because one day he dreamed of that girl marrying that guy if he's the right guy. And all of a sudden, we have it to where this punk comes in with the attitude of, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. And, well, you're going to ask my dad for his hand in marriage. And all of a sudden, it's just this, well, I'll marry her if I want to. And if he doesn't like it, you know what? For the rest of your life, that's still going to be her dad. And that's still going to be her mom. And a lot of relationships afterwards don't jive right because there's this tension between this and the parents because this was never done right. The Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother that it may be well with thee. Not just you, Maggie, but with you. And I know this is a lost concept. But I'm telling you, that dad is walking in to give her away because that dad has put his life into that girl for all those years. If you want to marry my daughter, you better come and ask me for my blessing. Because that little girl belongs to me and God gave her to me. And you know why? Because God's blessings have been upon me. And I want God's blessings to be upon you. That it may be well with thee. is what God said. You know, realize that that is one of the first commandments with a promise. That you do this and God promises this to follow. So I say out of this, it's not a matter, and, and I'm going to get into the severance here in a minute, but what's going on here is there is this point uh, of God says within this relationship 
that you are to honor your father and mother. I'm going to do this. Who gives this woman a way to be married to this man? This is a cool picture. These two are married. They've been married for 11 months, and I get to work with them every day. And I can tell you that they, they did, not, not, just, not just in the outward, but in the inward, strive to make this day the very best that they could. Now, let me explain what, what happens next, and I'm, I'm going to get in these verses. The parents, you just saw something that God gave us. Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave. His father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The word leave is talking about severance. What we just saw is dad handed off to Richard. And, and that's symbolic. Because the Bible talked about we did that, 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 that leadership thing about how God went into the garden, Adam, saying, Adam, where art thou? He was holding him accountable. Eve even was one of the ones that first initiated the sin, but Adam and Eve both fell into sin. God went looking for him. He, see, the Bible says, children obey your parents. And in Hebrews, the Bible even goes as far to say, obey them that have the rule over you. Listen to this. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. You can just sit back and say, oh, I don't believe, oh, no, no. listen, that they may give an account, that they may do it with joy. And not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. You see, all that time, there's this umbrella of authority of sitting there that I want to honor my father. And Richard, you better honor your dad. And Maggie, you did the same thing. But at that point, there shall man leave his father and mother. And cleave unto one another. It's not that these two don't matter anymore, but just for the record, this is now a new family unit. And I know there's a lot of fighting and turmoil that goes on, but I tell you, mom and dad, you better understand severance. You better understand that there's another segment that goes on that you can influence, you can guide, you can love, but this is a husband and wife. Used to be, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, Richard, your heart has to be, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. God has it, that severance, and a lot of times when it's not done that way, it doesn't work. So we looked at the purity in marriage, God's plan, severance in marriage, but permanence in marriage. Now, this is a commandment, a covenant between two. I start with their testimonies. I'm going to give you this. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, be not, be not equally uh, uh, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? You see, the reason why I stand up here, and a lot of times I turn around and say, Richard, here's his testimony, Maggie, her testimony. I want, I want to declare to the audience that these two are like-minded believers following Jesus Christ. Let me tell you another thing before you walk up, and I should have included this earlier. Dating is not a ministry. Dating is not an evangelistic outreach of the church. I got this boy, and he's so cute. He's lost as can be. 
He doesn't have my morals. He doesn't have my standards. He doesn't follow God's word. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't. It won't work. You understand? You say, oh, who are you to say? If you walk into my office and I know that one of you is unsaved, I will not do your wedding. Because the Bible says not to be unequally yoked. And these people that come and say, oh, but he's so close, it doesn't matter. Your job is never, every date is a potential mate. If he's not the right guy down here, he'll never be the right guy up here. If he's not the right guy in the pew, he's never going to be the right guy at the altar. Don't, uh, don't try to mix that and, and ruin relationships because we have messed this up. We go on from there into the commitment. In Genesis 2, verse 21 and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, because he was taken out of man. Let's point some things out. Number one, it was God's perfect plan. God makes no mistakes. God made the perfect woman and brought him up to the perfect man. So I'm going to tell you guys right now. If you come to my office, or you're anybody's office, and you sit there and say, we want to get married, I, you should not proceed under that unless inside your heart you know by prayer, fasting, and God's leading that that is the right person. God has the right person for you. Would you say amen to that? Amen. If you agree with that, say amen again. Amen. All right, I want you all on the same page. So therefore, now that we're all in agreement... There is not another person on the face of the planet that's better for you than Maggie because God made one woman for Adam. And Maggie, there's not a better man on the face of the planet outside of Richard other than Richard because God made Richard for you. Custom made Eve out of, out of his handiwork, brought her under there and said, I make no mistakes, I make no mistakes. So you're in the middle of your marriage, I can't stand him anymore. God makes no mistakes. It's not a matter of falling out of love. God made one man for one woman. Now, I know there's a whole other issue if I'm going to get into restoration and divorce and all that. Another topic, another time. Please just let me stay within the walls of this for right now. But let me tell you, God, mistakes and problems are going to come. Ask Adam and Eve. Ask them about the apple problem that they had, Okay. He was droid, she was that. No, I'm kidding, it's a different. <laughs> there was this entire conflict that came in, but did you notice how God stepped in and kept them together? Because God told Adam and said, you know what, you guys messed up, but there's not a better woman for you. God makes no mistakes. So you might be in the middle of a marriage and you're saying, I can't stand them, this isn't working. You can jump out, you can run down the street, you can try somebody else, but it's not going to fix the problem because God makes no mistakes. Now, you might make a mistake, and that's why I try to tell, do this right, this right, honor dad, and live pure, and live, because if it's lust in all of this, yeah, you started wrong. But if you do it right, God makes no mistakes. So, so we, we notice God's perfection in this. But let me show you something really cool in the midst of this. God's plan for unity. God made Eve differently than Adam, not out of the dust of the ground, but God used one bone. This is the only description that we have. God took the rib from Adam and gave it to Eve. Turn around and say, oh, that's a cute story. I remember using flannel graph in Sunday school class. And God took the little rib. And God did. And we're sitting there and thinking, everything that we do, there's purpose for it. Every single 
little detail of what we do, God had purpose for. Here it is. I'm going to show you. It's the permanence. God makes no mistakes. God did this. So Adam and Eve are just fighting it out like cats and dogs. Turns around and says, I'm sick of you. I'm sick of you. I don't want this anymore. And Adam turns to Eve and said, I'm going my separate way. I want my stuff back. Eve, give me my rib. And she's thinking, that's impossible. There is no way that I can separate what God has put together. The rib had a lot of significance of the meaning there. God said, go ahead, separate. Demand your rib back, dude. <laughs> but it's not going to happen. Now, you say, well, it happens today. We do that. You know, I'll tell you what. Yeah, you can do it, and it's, it rips people apart. Literally. Physical aspect of this that God said, I want it to be forever. Genesis 2.23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. They become part of each other. Not a ball and chain, but best friends, partners. Friends that stick closer than a brother. They share each other's goals and each other's fears. They have vision for their family. They're a vital part of the church. They come together through their commitment. Christ said in Hebrews 13, 5, For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That was a promise. And God turns around and says, Husband, love your wife, says Christ so loved the church. Tell her, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I go through hard times and I let God down. But I tell you, in my relationship with God, he looks down and says, Tony, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the commitment that's being made on this stage. That's the promise that's being said. God's plan for permanence. In Mark 10, 9, he says, Therefore what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. The problem comes when we start throwing out the word divorce and saying that I made a mistake. You might make mistakes, but God does not make mistakes. Here's what happens next. We say these words. We come up here. But this goes so much deeper. I want you to listen to this because maybe some of you have forgotten. This, this is more than a commitment. This is an acknowledgement. This is you stepping out saying, you know what? I know God makes mistakes. So listen to it this way. Because God makes no mistakes, you can say these words. Richard, will you have this woman to be your wife? To love her with God's love and provide her with God's supply. Will you love her, honor her, and care for her in sickness and in health? Will you seek to be her best friend and her spiritual leader? Will you do this and make her your dearest companion? Maggie, will you take this man to be your husband? To love him with God's love and to provide with him for, with God's supply. Will you love him, honor him, and care for him in sickness and in health? Will you seek to be his best friend and his dearest companion? Now listen to this. Richard is committing to her an outward profession of what he's already done in her life. And Richard says, I, Richard, I, Richard. Take, thee, Maggie, take thee, Maggie, to be my wedded wife. To, be my wedded wife. to have and to hold. From this, day forward, from this day forward, for better, for worse, for better, for worse in sickness and in health, health till death do us part. Do us part. Maggie, you do the same. I, Maggie, I, Maggie take, thee, Richard, take thee, Richard, to be my wedded husband. To be my wedded husband. Again, to have and to hold, <laughs> to have and to hold from this day forward, from this day forward for better, for worse, for, better, for, worse, for richer, for poor, for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health. 
till death do us part. See, this goes all the way back to the rib. It's a commitment. You know what kills young people today? Is they don't understand the concept of commitment. And you know what kills young people today? That a lot of parents aren't giving the demonstration of commitment. If they have the same marriage as you have one day, what kind of marriage will they have? If they resolve conflicts the same way that you two resolve conflicts, how will their fights be in the house? If they mimic and grow up, and that's, it's on-the-job training, every day in every way, you're teaching them this is how you love, this is how you serve, this is how you honor, then what's their relationship going to be like if it turns out to be just like yours? You say, oh, man, nobody's perfect. I know that. I'm not trying to say that no, anybody's perfect. But at the same time, we should strive to do it the way God wants us to do it. We get to one of the last parts. After all these things, we do something, and there's this demonstration that we give to one another, and it is an outward profession of what God has done. We begin with rings, and I want you to understand that a lot of things that we do is a testimony. The Bible says to let your light so shine before men that they may see it. Let me tell you, as the world attacks marriage on every angle and every way in, our, in America today, I want them to see a symbol of marriage. And I thought, well, it was a little weird that Joe and Becca came on the stage today to do the welcome. I'm telling you, I want to do more and more of that. As the, as the devil rips apart couples, I want to exalt them and say this is what it looks like. In every way, I, I want to hold up marriage. And so back me up as we do this. I want to hold up marriage. I want to hold up unity. I want to hold up couples. I want to hold up what it belongs. So we do this thing where it's rings. We, we, we won't do this part, but I, I, you exchange the rings. Oh, you already did. Okay. So we have these rings, and we slip them on each other's fingers. And you guys can go ahead and go through the motions of that. And what we're doing is we're giving a gift to one another as an outward prof a profession of what this is all about. I want the world to know, and I want a symbol of, of that, of I am committed, and I want the world to know that I'm committed, and I love that person. And I tell you, it should be way more than a ring. It should come out, and it should be through our testimony and an outward affection. It should be through how we live in love. It should be how people that are in their 20s love each other more than they did when they were in one year being married. My relationship with God ought to grow stronger and stronger every single day. I should be able to, after 20 years of being saved, be able to say, it's sweeter today than the day I met Christ. And then Christ says, love your wife that way. And then I talk to older men that will sit there and go, I don't know what she wants for her birthday. You better know what she wants for her birthday. What else do you have time to do? What are you putting your life into? She's your best friend. Act like it. Set an example before us of a thriving, growing, passionate, and exciting relationship. Not that it dies out, that it gets different, but it still stays sweet. Amen. There's another aspect of it is these candles back here. And the Bible says that the two shall become one. Now that's pretty cool because of the fact that when they come on the stage, they're going to extinguish two lives and before a testimony of everybody, stand there and light those together. So let us pray. Lord, as these two do this symbolic gesture, Lord, of, of two lives becoming one, Lord, help us understand, Lord, that this world doesn't understand that anymore. Lord, that you bring people together to last forever, and those lives together now burn stronger and brighter so that the world can see God in us. 
And Lord, Richard and Maggie have been able to live out a godly example. They serve together in this church. Lord, they make these services happen every week because you're working through them. Lord, help the world to see this through our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind, and envieth not. Charity or love vaunteth not itself, it's not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but it rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. This is God's plan for marriage. God had a pre-plan. God had plans through parents. 
God had plans for permanence and severance. God had a plan for unity. God had a plan for their testimony. God sends them out from here and says, be a light into the world. Now, the devil's going to fight. Opposition's going to come. We know that. You know why? Because it's God's plan. Satan has fought against everything that God has done. And as soon as God said the words, it is good, Satan goes, oh, that's that, boys, that's where we put our attention. So at the end of this, when we stand and we bring these two together, and we understand that God has this beautiful plan for these two, we understand that also, no matter where you're at, that God has a way to repair what has been broken. It's called grace. It's called mercy. Never, ever get to the point where you say, oh, if you just knew where we're at, I promise you. There's messages for that too. God never throws the clay away. He never gives up. He never says, you could be standing there saying, you have no idea. I, would, I, I never lived that kind of life before I walked into that wedding. I, I never was that type of husband or wife. I never, I've never. But see, the thing is, it's called grace. God gives us unmerited favor. God gives us second chances. God picks us up. God restores. It's not too late. Wherever you're at. A young person and you're not living right or an older person that your marriage is going downhill. No matter where you're at, it's never too late. Let's pray. Lord, I know that we're closing out this service. And I know that we've talked through all these things. And Lord, that the devil hates what we talked about today. He hates it so bad that he's thrown out every lie that he could create of other ways to be happy of other ways to find satisfaction, of other ways to do this. But Lord, we know your way is the only way. Lord, I pray that you just help work through all of our marriages. I thank you for Richard and Maggie and for the demonstration that they've given us. And Lord, for the example of your love and grace. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Today has been a reminder of what marriage is all about. God's perfect and amazing plan for a husband and wife. May we never forget. May we live every day enjoying the blessings what God has for us. May we live our married lives glorifying our awesome God. For as much as you, Richard, and you, Maggie, have thus consented in holy matrimony, again, and witnessed the same before God and the, these friends, by the virtue of the authority that vested in me as a minister of the gospel and the laws of the state, I do now pronounce you again, husband and wife. Richard, you may now kiss your bride. I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Richard Hartman. Imagine being there for Adam and Eve's wedding. I mean, the perfection, the glory, the excitement. Genesis 3.1 is the next chapter, the next verse of this. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Off in the distance, off to the side, Satan was sitting there saying, Well, guys, that's God's plan. I will destroy it. 
no matter what it takes. Chapter 3 and verse 1, it rolls right into the attack of Satan on a husband and wife. You guys realize that spiritual warfare started with a husband and wife? Not the local church, not the government, not the school system, not, not, not all these things. He attacked, his first attack was on a man and his wife. Because he understood that man and his wife, God's plan for that was to reach the world. If you are here today and your marriage is not what it should be and you're struggling, you're fighting, you've got this and you've got that, and you sit there and say, we're just not compatible, it's this, it's that, it hurts her mom, it's her job, it's her this, it's, it is sin. If God put it together and it's perfect and you're having problems, the problem is an attack of the devil and it's sin. It's either pride or it's something going on that you've got to understand sin has set into your relationship. I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. I, don't, I know this wasn't the typical Sunday, but I can tell you what we heard today we need to hear more often. It is so important that we live our relationships, we live out our lives, for young people to sit there and understand within your heart to know that the devil has a plan to destroy your marriage before you ever get to your marriage. And he does it by immoral relationships and having you hook up and go out and date him and date her and do it the wrong way. Hope you understand. Then there's a spiritual attack on your life. But I'm here to say to every man, and you're a husband and you're here today and you know that you are struggling your marriage, whatever it is, you need to cry out to God. Because it's only God, it's only God, it's only God that will ever be able to help you restore, fix, and pick up the problems that you're having in your life. It's only God. If you're a wife here today and you say, man, I'm struggling so bad. I wish it was over. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. You've got to understand when it comes to your God, He spoke the world into existence. He dropped the walls of Jericho. He split the Red Sea. And he looks at your marriage problems and saying, you don't think I can handle that? Please understand. God has a plan for your marriage and he has a plan to fix it as well. But don't allow pride to get in the way. Don't allow pride to hold you back. When was the last time that you ever knelt at an altar and said, God, help us? When's the last time you ever fasted and prayed when's the last time that you ever poured your life on your spouse and said it's not about me I want to love you the way that God loves you and we've got to get things right